As you saw, the children through VBS this past week studied about uh, the prophet Jonah and the great fish. And I think most of us, I would hope, are at least familiar somewhat with the story of, of Jonah. And so it's only appropriate that we look at uh, what Christ had to say about Jonah, the story of Jonah and the great fish. Uh, so if you will this morning, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 and begin reading with verse 38. We'll read down through verse 40. Matthew chapter 12, begin reading with verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Thank you for the privilege we have as your children to worship you and to uh, sing praises to you. Thank you now for the chance we have to hear your word. Pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, that you would be with my lips and enable me by your spirit to articulate your word to your people. And Lord, may it be transformative. May it change our hearts, change our lives, and point us to Christ our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the sermon this morning is The Sign of Jonah. Now, most of us know the story of Jonah, and we're familiar with the fact that he was called of God to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian kingdom back in about 2,500 years ago. And the uh, Assyrians were not friends of Israel. In fact, they were enemies of ancient Israel. They uh, were not very nice people. They came in and they obliterated their kingdom. Uh, they did harmful things to their, to their women and children, and they were just not very nice people. Uh, but God came to Jonah and he said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it and proclaim the just judgment of God, that if they do not repent, that I will destroy the city uh, very soon. And so we, most of us know how that Jonah did the exact opposite. He didn't like the Ninevites. He uh, didn't want to see God's mercy extended to them. So he went down to Joppa, got on a boat going in the opposite direction to a city called Tarshish, and uh, intended to flee from the presence of God. But along the way, a great storm came. In fact, the book of Jonah tells us that it's one of the things that God prepared. There were five things specifically that God prepared in the book of Jonah. Um, one being the storm. He, he created the storm at sea. And it came in order to reveal to the prophet and also the people there on the boat uh, that he was heading in the wrong direction. And so uh, the people in the ship, they were afraid. They were concerned that their boat was going to be destroyed. And uh, he was down in the ship, interestingly enough, taking a nap. They woke him up and they said, don't you care that we're going to perish? Cry out to your God, whoever he is, and, and maybe he'll have mercy on us. They were not Jews. They were not people of the Hebrew nation, so they did not know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they simply knew of, of their own idols and of the, of the gods of their own country. So Jonah did, but he told him, he said, look, the reason this storm has arisen is because of me. I've disobeyed God. I have fled from him. I've 
been unfaithful to him, and as a result, the storm is, is uh, potentially going to, uh, to cause damage, great harm to our boat and, and maybe even to all of us. So the only way that you can make it stop is if you pick me up and throw me overboard. And the second thing that the book of Jonah tells us that God prepared was a giant fish. Now, some people think it was a whale. Some people think it was a sea creature. The Bible doesn't really say. It just says a giant fish. It was prepared specifically by God uh, to swallow Jonah whenever he was thrown overboard. And so it did. And, and according to Scripture, he was in the belly of the, of the giant fish three days and three nights. And he prayed to God. He repented. And God, again, caused the fish to do a wonderful thing and, and spew Jonah out on dry ground. And God's word came to Jonah again and said, go back to Nineveh. My plan for you, my mission has not changed. Go back to Nineveh, cry against it, and compel them to repent. And so he did. And so, briefly, that's the story of the unfaithful prophet turned faithful prophet who still struggled throughout his life, and we'll see this more in detail in just a minute, uh, with the call of God, with the mission of God on his life. So what can that story, what can the the sign of Jonah the prophet communicate to us today, and what specifically uh, did it communicate to the generation of Christ? There are three things. They're all there in your, in your notes. Uh, the first is that it offers hope. The sign of the prophet Jonah offers hope for the unfaithful. The second is that the sign of the prophet Jonah offers a challenge to the faith of the unhopeful. And finally, that the sign of the prophet Jonah declares salvation uh, from the depths of despair. So we'll start with the first thing, the fact that the, um, the sign of Jonah offers hope for the unfaithful. Interesting thing is happening here in our text as we read together. Uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're coming to Christ and asking him a question. Now, just so you know, the scribes and Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. They were people who were in control of the church. They were people who were in control of the synagogue. Um, they were responsible for teaching God's people the law. And so they should have known what the law of God was. In fact, they did, at least intellectually. And they had observed that Christ had been doing all these miracles and wonders in their midst. In fact, if you look at, in the context of this particular uh, passage, you see that uh, he had done great things on the, on the Sabbath day, that he had healed a man with a withered hand. And they observed that, and they saw. And so there was enough evidence, if you will, enough proof in the deeds of Christ to convince the Jews, to convince the scribes and the Pharisees that he was indeed who he said he was. But instead, they come to him and they ask for a sign. Now, there are two reasons why, I think, scripturally speaking, that we can assume they were asking for a sign. Maybe one, they were asking because they really wanted to know if he was the Son of God, if he was the longed-for Messiah. They wanted him to give them a sign that he truly was who he said he was. But he had been doing that all along. He had been healing the sick and uh, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Maybe, and this is the second reason that they were possibly seeking a sign, maybe they were looking for a sign of God's acceptance, a sign of God's validation. And the reason that I think we can uh, think along those lines is, is if you look in Luke's gospel, and uh, Luke's gospel conveys a similar story of the scribes and the Pharisees coming to Christ asking for a sign. And in the context of that gospel, Christ is referencing the sign and what his coming means for his generation. 
what the incarnation, what his presence among them means uh, for his generation. And, and if you look at verses 41 through 42, which we didn't take the time to read this morning, but Christ actually uh, says that the men of Nineveh would rise in judgment against that generation. Then he goes on to say that um, even uh, the, the queen of the south or, uh, or um, the, uh, the queen of Sheba in the time of Solomon would rise in judgment against that generation to condemn it because a greater than Solomon and a greater than Jonah was in their midst. So it could be, it could well be, and I would suggest to you that what they were looking for, even more than a sign that Jesus was the Son of God, was a sign of acceptance by God. A sign of validation, a sign of approval. But there was a problem. The sin of the people of Christ's generation was that they sought a sign without seeking a Savior. And oftentimes, you and I, living today in the 21st century, are no different. We want a sign that God is there. We want a sign that God loves us. We want a sign that we're going to be okay. And that at the end of the day, all is going to be well. But the ultimate sign of Christ, and this is why he's evoking the story of Jonah here, the ultimate sign of Christ and his coming is not simply that we are going to, that everything is A-OK between us and God, but it's only A-OK between us and God because Jesus is our Savior. That's the great sign of his coming. That's the great sign of his death, burial, and resurrection. The fact that we are dead in our sin, that we can do nothing apart from him, that we can do nothing apart from a Savior, and the fact that first and foremost, we need a Savior. But this is something that the Pharisees and the teachers and the scribes of the law had a hard time accepting. And we do as well. But the reason that God could not give them a sign of acceptance apart from giving them the sign of a Savior is that to do so would validate their own idolatrous self of sin, of, uh, sense of self-righteousness. This idea that there could be righteousness or salvation found from any other means apart from a Savior, apart from one who was sent to them in a very similar fashion as Jonah. He was a Hebrew, but he was sent to the Ninevites. He was not one of them. He was not of their ethnicity. He was not of their nation. But yet God sent Jonah to this people. In a, in, in a comparative way, Christ, even though he is man, truly man and truly God, yet he is from beyond. That's why... Scripturally speaking, he's referred to as Emmanuel, or God with us. He is the very embodiment of God. And his presence among us tells us that all is well. It's good news, but it's only good news because he's also a Savior. Because he has come not simply to make us feel better about our sin, but to forgive our sin, to do away with it, to bear the punishment for it. And so... The sign of Jonah and the sign of Christ's coming ultimately offers hope for the unfaithful because we're all unfaithful. If you look at the prophet Jonah, we know that the reason that God had prepared the giant fish to swallow him is because he had been unfaithful. He was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, and he repented there of his unfaithfulness. He had not faithfully obeyed the call of God to go to Nineveh. And we can identify with that, can we not? Even the generation of Christ. He reprimanded them and called them an adulterous generation. Now, why would he have done that? After all, an adulterer or an adulteress is someone who, who cheats on their spouse, right? 
So why would Christ have called his generation an adulterous one? Well, if you go back in the Old Testament, there's a, an analogy, a, a comparison between God and his people, God and Israel, uh, comparing it to the relationship between a man and his wife. And so what Christ was really reprimanding his generation for doing is seeking a means of righteousness from some other place than that appointed by God. Seeking a sign without seeking a savior. Seeking a sign that they were okay, that this was who they had been waiting for without understanding that he was there not only to preach the good news, but that the good news is good news because he is first and foremost a savior of the world, of our sins. He, he takes our sins upon himself. And so he was comparing their adulterous generation or the generation of his day with ancient Israel and their own adultery, the fact that they were finding consolation in the arms of another, that they had been married to God, a spouse to God, through his law and through his covenant with them, but they were instead seeking satisfaction, seeking redemption, seeking purpose from some other means other than that which God had appointed. So the first thing that we see here is that the sign of Jonah offers hope for the unfaithful. Because after all, Jonah was in the belly of the fish and something gracious happened there. Yes, it was a result of his unfaithfulness. And yes, you can say it was a result of, of God's grace in his life. It was both. It was both discipline as well as grace. It was gracious because in the belly of the giant fish, Jonah was convicted of his sin, convicted of the fact that he was fleeing from God, and he repented and cried out to God. And if you read the, the, the prayer of Jonah found in the third chapter of the book of Jonah, it's really telling his repentance, his remorse, the fact that he was looking again to the temple of God, that edifice that represented the relationship between God and his people, that he was looking again to that temple. Now, it's telling because if you know, if you remember in the Gospels, one thing that Christ challenged the people of his day to do was to see his own self, to see his own body as the temple. Later on, they, they, they asked for a sign of who he was and of his coming, and, and, and he said, uh, I will tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And of course, all of them were aghast, and they thought, how could this man tear down the temple, which our forebears were 40-plus years in the process of building and rebuild it again in three days? But the gospel goes on to say that thus he spoke of the temple of his own body, that Christ is the temple, the one that we can look to, and find forgiveness and redemption from sin. So the first thing that the sign of the prophet Jonah, uh, Jonah does is it conveys to us or offers to us hope for the unfaithful. Hope because we're all unfaithful. And in our unfaithfulness, there is no other way apart from Jesus Christ, apart from his atoning death, burial, and resurrection, that we can ever find peace between us and God. We're sick. We're nauseous. It's a term that the children learned this past week in VBS, that the Ninevites were nauseous with sin. And we have more in common with the Ninevites than what we like to think or that, than what we like to believe. But all of us are sick in sin, and we cannot heal ourselves. So regardless of what we create, the idols in our own life that we erect, to try to give us satisfaction or to try to find or to try to be a means of 
salvation or redemption, apart from Christ, there is no other way of being reconciled to God. We can apply this by realizing that, like Jonah, I run, you run, we all run in the wrong direction. Like Jonah, we're all on that ship headed to Tarshish, unfaithful, disobedient to the law of God. Or as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all on the trajectory, a collision course, if you will, with the storm of our own sin, with the storm of our own morality. And it is there oftentimes that we hear the truth of the gospel, and by hearing, we can believe. This past week, I was reading an article in the newspaper online. There's an um, update on the trial of, of James uh, Egan Holmes, which, uh, if you don't remember, he's the young man that went into the movie theater back in 2012 uh, during, <coughs> during the showing of the Batman movie and opened fire, uh, killing several people and wounding others. And uh, his, the heinousness of, of his crime has him on trial uh, with the penalty being, uh, being the death sentence. And uh, while he's on trial, he's trying to explain, and of course he's, he's declared mentally ill, but he's trying to explain to uh, the people, the, the jury, why he did what he did. And he said something which I think is very telling, because even though uh, his mental condition, of course, is, is one of, of sickness, uh, oftentimes those who are insane, um, so to speak, uh, speak truth in a way that um, all of us can identify with. But he said this, and, and some of you may know, some of you may not, that he actually was a medical school dropout. He went to medical school uh, to major in uh, clinical psychology. And, and the reason he did was because he said he wanted to heal himself. He knew that he was sick mentally, and he wanted to heal himself, so he went to medical school seeking a way to do it. But then he made this comment. He said, it's hard to heal your own mind when your mind is what is sick. Now, the reason I find that profound is because, spiritually speaking, the Jews of the day of Christ, the scribes, the, the, the Pharisees, were doing a very similar thing. They were seeking a sign of healing without seeking a Savior. They were seeking a sign that Christ was who he said he was without fully having an open heart to the preaching and the proclamation of his message. Because the, the harlots and the charlatans and the, the tax collectors, the sinners of the day, had no, time, no difficulty accepting that Jesus was who he said he was because they knew they were sinners. They knew they needed a Savior. But oftentimes, even we, ourselves, seek to heal ourselves. Now, the way that we do so may look like workahol uh, being a workaholic, or it may look like you know, seeking wealth or seeking financial means of, of success and happiness. It may look like drugs and alcohol, pornography. You fill in the gap, but all of humanity is seeking to heal ourselves, seeking to fill that void that is within. And what the sign of the prophet Jonah Jonah, and what the sign of Christ's coming teaches us is that there is hope for the unfaithful. There's hope for those of us, and it's all of us. We're in the boat together with Jonah, those of us who have run from God and are running in the wrong direction. Second point that, or the second thing that we can glean from the um, sign of the prophet Jonah is that 
it challenges both the story of Jonah as well as the coming of Christ, challenges faith for the unhopeful. Because in order for the Jews of the day of Christ and in order for you and I today to believe the story of Jonah, that there could really be this guy who was thrown overboard and swallowed by a giant fish, and he lived for three days and three nights there in the acidic juices of, of the digestive entrails of this giant creature. That could not have happened apart from a supernatural miracle from God. Now, it may have been no ordinary fish. We know that God prepared it. But one thing that the Jews of Christ's day knew was that Jonah and the story of Jonah would not have been possible without the intervention of the supernatural, without a miracle happening. And so, in essence, Christ is setting the stage. And he's telling the Jews of his day, he's saying, look, just as something supernatural happened to Jonah, he was in the well of a giant fish for three days and three nights, and then he was spewed out on dry land in order to be faithful to the command of God, the mission of God. He said, even so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was setting the stage, not for something natural, but something supernatural. And he was pointing to ultimately the reason that he was here to begin with, which is to die as a substitutionary sacrifice, an atonement for the sins of all mankind. And through his death and his burial, three days and three nights in a tomb, that he would rise again. And with that resurrection, that the message of mercy and love and acceptance would be shared, the good news would be shared with all mankind. So the necessity of the miraculous and the story of the prophet Jonah is something that you cannot have the story without it. And you cannot have the story of the gospel without the supernatural, without the miraculous, without the fact, the reality that God became man and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, full of justice and mercy. The two combine in him. And that's what we see in his death. Just as Jonah, the unfaithful prophet, was in the belly of the giant fish for three days and three nights because of his unfaithfulness, Christ, the faithful prophet, was in the tomb three days and three nights because of our unfaithfulness. He bore our sin in his own body on the tree that you and I might have the righteousness of God, that you and I might have salvation through him. C.S. Lewis said that mercy detached from justice becomes unmerciful. We cannot know mercy without knowing justice. But what we see in Jonah when he was in the belly of the giant fish and what we see in Christ when he was in the tomb, when he suffered and died on the cross, is mercy and justice united. The fact that we deserved what he received, but he took it on himself for us. Our sins were assigned to him so that his righteousness can be assigned to us. That's the beauty of the sign. That's the beauty of the gospel. So, so far we've seen two things, two points about the sign of the prophet Jonah. One is that we are all seeking a sign of the lordship of Christ as well as a sign of God's acceptance, God's approval. And the second is that we are all unfaithful. But faith that the sign of Jonah and by implication also the sign of the burial and resurrection of Christ is real is something 
alien to us. It's nothing short of miraculous. It's supernatural. It's not something that we can create, but rather it's something that is a gift of God's good grace. Now, the third point that I want to make about the sign of the prophet Jonah is that it declares salvation from the depths of despair. If the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is truly what is being signified here by the sign of Jonah, as Christ is suggesting to the Jews of his day, then what does that mean? What does it mean that, that in a similar fashion, Christ, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a, great, of a giant fish, so Christ was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? It means that Christ is ultimately the true sign of God's approval. It means that God does indeed approve of us, that we stand accepted in his presence, but not because of our faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of Christ. That's the true sign of the prophet Jonah, the true sign of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I would even suggest more than a sign, the true benefit the true implication, the true benefit that you and I share is that we are accepted by God, but not because we're unfaithful, but because Christ is faithful. Uh, when, when I first moved, my wife and I first moved into our house that we had there in Greenville, um, the previous homeowners were very good about creating landscape that bloomed all year round. So they had plants that bloomed in the spring, plants that bloomed in the summer, plants that bloomed in the fall, and even some that bloomed in the winter, Lenten roses, which were very beautiful uh, in, the, in the heart of winter. And the first year we were there, my wife and I were just in amazement at how year round we had these beautiful flowers, this beautiful growth that was all around us. And several people, when they would come to visit, would comment on, on how beautiful uh, the yard was and, and how beautiful uh, the landscape was. And all my wife and I could say was, well, thank you. We had nothing to do with it. It was done by the people that were here before us, but thank you. And I think about that because whenever we think of the righteousness, the faithfulness that enables us to stand with confidence in God's presence, at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the work of Christ, with the fact that he was crucified, laid in a borrowed tomb for three days and three nights, and then rose again for our justification. So we look to him to save us from the depths of despair, the depths of our own sin, the depths of our own depravity. Now there's a way that the sign of the prophet Jonah is inferior to the sign of Christ's suffering and burial. And here's how. After the miraculous salvation of Jonah from the heart of the giant fish, we know that he obeyed God and that he went preaching the gospel to the Ninevites. And we know that they repented in mass. God showed them mercy, and they repented of their sin. But Jonah was not happy. If you read the fourth chapter of, his, of the small book of the prophet Jonah, you know that after God showed mercy to Nineveh, and after he had this great altar call and this wonderful in mass conversion of the Ninevites, he went and he sat under a tree, and he mourned, and he asked for death. He prayed that he might die because God was mercy was merciful. He longed for death because God had extended salvation to those whom in the depths of his heart he truly despised. The contrast there is that Christ died willingly so that you and I might be shown mercy. 
He died. He laid down his life. He told the Jews of his day, he said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. He laid down his life so that you and I could live. That's the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's the sign of Christ. Now, here's the hope. And I'll say this in closing. Here's the hope. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish and didn't stay there, in essence, he was resurrected. He, he came back from the, the depths of despair, from the depths of the earth. He came back to proclaim God's mercy and justice to the people of Nineveh. The glorious truth, the glorious power of the gospel is that even though Christ was three days and three nights in the borrowed tomb, he didn't stay there. That's the crux of our salvation. That's the very heart of the hope that we have. The fact that, yes, Christ bore our sins on the cross, and yes, he suffered in our stead, but when he rose again, he rose again in power so that you and I can walk in newness of life. That's the power of the sign of not only the prophet Jonah, but that's the power that, that, that is fulfilled in Christ himself, in his work on earth. That you and I who are sinners, who are alien from God, we're part of that hated nation, if you will, that we can be reconciled to God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And because he lives, we can stand in the presence of God fully accepted. Faithful, not in our own faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of Christ, which is assigned or imputed to us. Because Christ died, because he lived, because he perfectly obeyed the Father, the will of God, you and I can live. You and I can have the benefit of that obedience in our own life. We can be justified in him. So the key is that Christ was only in the grave three days, and the power of our salvation rests on a resurrected Lord. The hope of our gospel rests on a resurrected Lord. So when Christ was telling the, the Pharisees and the Jews that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the giant fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, he's saying that he, Jonah is assigned to that generation. He was telling them what was to come. And he was showing them how that through the sign of the prophet Jonah, there is hope for the unfaithful, faith for the unhopeful, and there is salvation from the depths of despair. And so you and I today, wherever you are, in your own life, if you've trusted in Christ and you've accepted his righteousness, or if you, like Jonah, or find yourself fleeing to Tarshish, your own proverbial Tarshish, from the presence of God, I would challenge you with this last thought, and that is that Christ's, Christ died so that we might live. And his death and burial and resurrection is the very hope, the very power that enables you and I to stand justified in the presence of of a holy God. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we are so grateful, so grateful that you came and that you loved us so much that you gave your life. Father, we thank you for giving your only Son so that we who are dead in trespasses and sin could be alive in, in, in the righteousness of Christ. And Lord, just as you declared that the, the prophet Jonah was assigned to your generation and it's assigned to our own, we pray that you would show that there is hope for those of us who are unfaithful and that there is faith in the supernatural power of God to raise again Christ Jesus from the dead. And whether that resurrection be believing in salvation or believing that broken marriages can be healed or believing that 
that our broken heart can be mended. We know and look to you and the power of your gospel for the work, Lord, that only you can accomplish. And as we do, we know that you can save us from the depths of despair. And we rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.